Now, Philippians 3, verse 1. Everybody got it? Say a good, loud amen. Amen. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, right. if any man, other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I do more. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the, the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted laws for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, having not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If I, by, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended. Of Christ Jesus. Amen. They're going to blast the shofars. And I need you one more time. To give the Lord a shout of praise for his word today. Come on. Let's give him praise this morning for his word.
my brethren. Amen. Now this was not as uh, I'm almost finished. You know, uh, for us a lot of times when we're about to conclude we'll say finally uh, this is the last thing. But this was not in the sense that he was almost finished. But it was uh, as in a transition. In other words, he was moving for to another topic. Or uh, simply he was saying as for the rest, here's what I need you to uh, understand. So he said, finally, and as for the rest of it, despite all of that, he said, rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul said this quite often. Hallelujah. So uh, understand what he was saying. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in circumstances or situations, but rejoice in the Lord who works all things together for the good. Amen. So he didn't say rejoice in what you're going through. He said rejoice in the Lord because no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situation is, the Lord will take all things and work them together for the good to them that love and serve him according to his purpose. Come on somebody, do you hear that? Hallelujah. So Paul was saying now, as for the rest of it, I don't want you to get so bogged down about all this that's taking place, but rather rejoice in the Lord. Even in the midst of dire circumstances, God's people can rejoice. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as saying, hallelujah, that abiding joy is really the duty of a believer. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are in covenant with him. Abiding joy is your duty. Nowhere in the scripture does God give us permission to a man subject ourselves to the situation, the circumstances, the emotions, the feelings, amen, the things that are taking place. Now, he says we'll feel things, we'll experience things, we'll suffer, we'll feel depressed, we'll feel anxious, we'll feel fearful, we'll feel sick, we will experience, amen, troubled times. But nowhere does he give us permission to identify with any of that. But rather he says rejoice. Why? Because I am with you. Second of all, anywhere that you go, I have already been there. And if I've already been there, then I've made a way through it. And if I take you to it, then I'm going to get you through it. I need somebody in the house that will help me this morning. You need to shout better than that. If you've ever been to mess up our propensity to fall prey to 
this world comes natural. Hallelujah. We got to go against what's natural. Amen. That means we allow the supernatural. Amen. To be evident in our life. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's more than a tongue talker. Amen. He's more than a gift giver. He's a comforter. He's a counselor. He's a power to overcome. Amen. He's at peace in a troubled time. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah. So we got to cultivate this joy. That's why we're here today. That's why we read the word. That's why we, amen, witness. That's why we come to service. Amen. To gather together for corporate worship. We cultivate this joy. Hallelujah. We make, amen, provision. And we make room, as we preached on, on Thursday night, we make room for the miraculous. So Paul, Paul was saying, now for the rest, rejoice in the Lord. Amen? And so Paul taught at Philippi. Here's what you got to understand. Again, stay with me. I want, I want to just bring us into context here. Amen? You know, sometimes we get up and we, we ask preachers, we assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. We assume that everybody's read, amen, at least a portion or heard. I mean, some people here today may not even know who Paul is. Amen. We can't assume that. Hallelujah. We can't even assume that everybody here knows who Jesus is. Oh, hallelujah. Quiet now. Amen. Hallelujah. But Paul taught at Philippi, being an apostle. Hallelujah. Amen. That, that, and, and he said, uh, amen, here, he said, rejoice in the Lord. He said, because I write the same things to you. In other words, I'm going to tell you some things that I've already taught you. And he said, this is not grievous to me. Uh, this is not tedious for me. So I don't want you to think that uh, that this is tedious for me to repeat myself. Hallelujah. He said, because I'm doing it for your safety. I'm doing it that you can be aware. Hallelujah. And be prepared. Hallelujah. Are you understanding today? Uh, amen. Paul wasn't saying, well, I can't believe I got to say this all over again. I taught this before. How come y'all have not got gotten it. What is it that some of you are not listening? He said, this is not tedious for me. This is not something, amen, that is a problem for me, amen. I'm doing it because it's for your safety. In other words, he wanted to make sure that they were secure in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So he said, here, I want you to beware. Simply keep a watchful eye. I want you to pay attention. He said, I want, you to, I want you to keep a watchful eye. He said, beware of the dogs. Now, here's what you got to understand. Again, we talked about this in class. Amen. Some of you that were here this morning, amen, uh, hearing this. But, but you got to understand that uh, there was a problem, the false teaching that was happening here, amen, was that there were some Jews, uh, amen, who were teaching, uh, amen, uh, to the Gentiles, which were those, a Gentile is anyone that's not born a natural Jew, amen. So anyone that was not a Jew by birth was considered a Gentile. Amen. We know that Jesus came to save, seek and save that which was lost. So, so this included the Gentiles. And, and so we had, you had, amen, some of the Jewish Christians, amen, who were teaching uh, to the Gentiles that in order for them to be a Christian, they need to become a Jew first. That you became a Jew first and then you became a Christian. This is not what Paul was teaching. Paul had not taught this. And so uh, you understand that, amen, that they were they were teaching them, amen, that they had to come by their salvation. Now listen, these Jewish Christians believed in the Messiah. They believed in Jesus. They were Jewish Christians, amen, but they believed, amen, that you had to follow the law, which was by circumcision, amen, that to, to be able to become a Jew, amen, then you could become a Christian. So if you were going to be a Christian, you had to be a Jew first, amen, being a Gentile. Hallelujah. Now, when you understand the Apostle Paul saying, beware of the dogs, dogs is a, a word or a phrase that was used to describe Gentiles, amen. The Gentiles to the Jews were, were as dogs. They referred to, amen, Gentiles as the dogs. Remember? 
remember when Jesus came and the woman came, amen, begging, and amen, uh, for the crumbs, and, and, and she said, uh, he said, I throw the crumbs, uh, not even the dogs, and, and, and he said, uh, he didn't come to save, uh, come on somebody, are you with me? Hallelujah, that's what that term was being, it's not necessarily uh, a, a, a slur, but it was just an understanding that, amen, they were not connected to the covenant as the Jews were. So Paul is saying, beware of the dogs. Now, what was he talking about? He's referring to them troublemaking Jews uh, who were legalistic. Those Jewish legalists trying to deceive them. Huh? Trying to tell them that in order to be a, a Christian, you have to first come under the law of circumcision. Huh? Amen. You have to uh, follow the law. In order to be a Christian, you have to first do this. Huh? He said, do not pay attention to these troublemaking Jewish legalists. Huh? Because that's not what saves you. Huh? Then he went on to say, beware of evil workers. Huh? Amen. What was he talking about there. He's talking about these same ones who uh, believe that they were attaining righteousness by God with their works. Amen. So they were trying to fulfill the law of Moses. Amen. In order to attain righteousness with God. Amen. Even though Jesus had already accomplished all that the law required. He said, these folks are evil workers. And he said, I want you to beware of them. Amen. Then he went on, interesting here. He said, beware, hallelujah, of the concision. Amen. Now, when you look at the word concision, it's translated here, and it literally means mutilation. Amen. So we can, we can say it like this. Paul was saying, beware of the dogs. Beware of those Jewish legalists who are trying to uh, convince you uh, that you have to become a Jew. They're causing trouble. That you have to be circumcised before you can become a Christian. Now beware of those, amen, that, that are trying to teach you that you attain righteousness with God by their works. Now he said, beware of those, amen, who are teaching mutilation. Hallelujah. Now he wasn't speaking of the Jews who were secure in Judaism because there were still Jews who did not believe in the Messiah. Amen. But he's talking about the Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but that you had to be a Jew first. Then you became a Christian. Hallelujah. And if you, uh, in order for you to be able to partake of the Messiah, you had to be a Jew or come under the law. Now, here, here's what you got to understand. Hallelujah. Amen. It was okay. And see, people don't realize that Christianity was actually a sect of Judaism. Amen. To realize that there were Jewish Christians, it's kind of a, amen. Yeah. <laughs> 
because that does no more save you, amen, than not eating pork. Amen, that doesn't save you either. Amen, the dietary laws, Paul was trying to get them to understand. He said, so beware of that. They aren't preaching circumcision. They're really preaching concision or mutilation because they're teaching you that your righteousness is attained by your works instead of the works of the Messiah. Are you with me? I'm trying to make this simple, concise, and move on. Amen? For you to understand. Hallelujah. You understand that the church, amen, that Paul was preaching about and that Paul was teaching, amen, the church believes and knows that one doesn't have to become a Jew before they are a Christian. Matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul said Jesus came to make Jew and Gentile one new man. One new man. Hallelujah. So when you become a man born again and you become saved and you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you are now one and the same in the eyes of the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. Now after you get saved, if you want to be circumcised, you can. If you want to follow the dietary laws, that means you're allowed to. You can. But you don't have to because that doesn't make you righteous. What makes you righteous is the work that Jesus did on the cross. Hey, devil, somebody better help me in this place. I'm trying to be, hallelujah, as elementary as I can. I feel like some folk need to understand today, hallelujah, what Jesus did for you. Amen. It was God's plan to make a man one new man. So this is why Paul, if you could put verse 3 up there, amen, this is why Paul said in verses 3 and 4, amen, he began to say, we are the circumcision. Who's we? We which worship God in the spirit. We who rejoice in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Amen. We are now the circumcision. We are now the covenant. Oh, come on, somebody, do you hear me? Remember when the woman, amen, and Jesus met? Hallelujah. And she was saying, well, our fathers worship over here, and, and our father is greater than your father. And Jesus nicely enough said, uh, uh, sweetie, listen to me. There's going to come a time when those that worship, it ain't going to matter who your father was. It ain't going to matter who you think they were. But they must worship me in spirit and in truth. Amen. So we are the circumcision. Touch yourself and say, I am the circumcision. I am the sign of the covenant. Why? Because I worship God in spirit and in truth. And I don't rejoice in what I have done or what I can do. But I rejoice in what Jesus has done and what Jesus can do. Just fleshly works and it means nothing. He was saying, following laws don't save you. Aren't you glad? Because I'm a lawbreaker. He's a way that you're on a lawbreaker. Come on, come on, I'll admit I'm a lawbreaker. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But because he made a way, hallelujah. I'm not subject now to that law, but I'm subject to him who fulfilled and became everything that the law required to have a right relationship with God. The rejoicing now is in Christ Jesus and not our good works. I can't help it if there's some people that rejoice in their works. I can't help that. That is not the rejoicing. It's in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul was saying there's no confidence in the flesh. Joy isn't found. Paul was saying, joy is not found in your own ability to be justified by the law or by your law keeping. You can dress, do, follow everything to the T. 
and it will not save you. It will not make you righteous. It does not make you righteous. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul was saying, Jesus alone is your joy. He alone is your joy. I've had people, I've had people say, well, well, your obedience is legalism. Because, because, because you obey, that's legalism. Can I tell you what legalism is? Legalism is when your relationship with God is based on your performance. Either how good or how bad you've been. There's some of you in here today that still struggle with that. I said legalism is that your relationship with God is based on how good or bad you've been. But instead, the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus says that God's opinion of me or my standing with Him is based on my relationship by faith with Jesus. Not on anything that I've done or how good or how bad, but my standing with God is based on my faith, amen, with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So with Jesus, if I rejoice and He alone is my joy, hallelujah, then that is my right standing with God. So that when God sees me, He cannot see me for who I am in the flesh, but He sees Jesus in me, therefore he must, hallelujah, override the flesh. Come on, somebody, because I'm in relationship. Now, I'm talking about being in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. And so when you're in right relationship with Jesus, amen, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you for who you are, what you can do. He sees Jesus for what he's already done and what he's doing in you. And if he is the hope in you, hallelujah, you've got some power today that the enemy does not want you to know you And so, Paul goes on to say, look guys, if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, it's me. If there's anybody that can truly have confidence in the flesh, it's me. He said, first of all, here's what I have by birth. I was circumcised on the eighth day. By the law. I am the stock of Israel. I am an heir, a rightful heir to the covenant of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the, of the stock of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was the first to give Israel their king. They were also the one that sided with Judah when there was a split. Amen. So I am of the tribe of Benjamin. So now I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the stock of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And he said, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, there was nothing in my bringing up that was Greek or Hellenistic. We did not allow any pagan practice. My parents did not allow any Greek or Hellenistic ways of life to infiltrate. We followed everything to the letter of the law of Moses. And so there was nothing in us. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you hearing me? Because here's what you got to understand. There were some Jews that became ashamed of their Jewishness. Amen. So uh, they lived as much like the Greeks as possible. Even so much so, amen, that they would uh, take their circumcision and cosmetically try to restore the circumcision or hide it so that they could enjoy the Roman public bathing without being recognized that they were a Jew. So there were a lot of Jews, many Jews that were ashamed of that. Paul said, we weren't ashamed of our Jewishness. This is the same fellow that said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, we weren't ashamed that we were Jews. My parents never allowed any of that paganism. He said, so now that's by birth. But now let me tell you by achievement. Let me tell you what I've done. Come on, somebody, do you hear that? He said, I am a Pharisee. That was the elite. 
Amen. Can I tell you? Amen. But the Pharisees kept the law to the smallest detail. The word Pharisee literally means separated ones. Now you got to understand there weren't as many Pharisees as people perceive. I believe around this time there were about six thousand. Uh, Pharisees, which weren't really a lot compared to Amen, all that was there. But Paul said, I was a Pharisee. So I kept the law right down to the smallest detail. If it said that this hymn needed to be this long or it needed to have blue thread, it was that long and it had blue thread. Every detail I kept to where no one could say. He said, Man, hallelujah, I have the zeal. Amen. He said, I didn't just talk about it on Facebook. I didn't just throw it around on social media. I didn't just talk about it at the table with everybody. Well, I'm this and I'm that. He said, I actually did. I took the letters and I went to the Christians. Amen. And I persecuted them and I put them to death. You understand, Paul was a Christian. Paul was already a Christian when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Paul was already a Christian. He was just a man, one of those Christians that followed everything by the letter of law. He already believed in Messiah. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. Listen. Amen. Jesus said to him, Paul, how long are you going to kick against the bricks? How long are you going to problem you, Paul? Hallelujah. So Paul said, look, I didn't just talk about it. I wasn't one of those naysayers. I actually got out there and I put my hand. Amen. And I took them. Matter of fact, he was on his way with a letter, amen, of, of, of persecution when Jesus met him there. Amen. So understand. He said, I persecuted the church. I wasn't just somebody that talked about it. He said, now also by righteousness, which is the law. Amen. He said, I achieved a standard of righteousness that was measured by the law and it was accepted by man. There was no man that could look me down and look at my life and look at me and say that I was violating any law. He said, I kept it all. So I not only had it by birth, but I also had it by works. So in summary, Paul was saying, if anybody could lay claim to pleasing God by the law, it would be me. Hallelujah. But then, verse 7, when you pull that up, here I am going to my thought. Hallelujah. Now Paul learned to count. He was smart. Amen. Intelligent. Hallelujah. But all of that didn't matter nothing because Paul said, I had to learn to count. I had to learn to put some things in proper perspective. I had to learn to make an account. Are you hearing me? He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. Paul began to do some spiritual math. He became a man, a spiritual accountant. He began to count the cost. He began to look at all that he had done. Hallelujah. Compared to what Jesus had done. Hallelujah. And he done the math. Look at your neighbor say, do the math. Hallelujah. Do the math. Hallelujah. I can see it like this. I can see Paul. You know, I, I'm a list person. So I can see Paul. Amen. He made a list. He divided that. Amen. His uh, scroll in half. And over here, he put all of his achievements uh, or his gain. Uh, and he listed all of the stuff uh, that he had accomplished. He just talked about, uh, amen, several of all the stuff that he accomplished. Uh, and over here, he just put Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just one word, Jesus. Uh, and when he looked at all this, uh, and he looked at the word Jesus, he's like, yeah, hallelujah, this was nothing compared to what he had done for me. He began, he started learning how to count. Hallelujah, he started learning. Amen, how to count the cost. Amen, here's the thing. You look at this scripture. Amen, the word gain here. Amen, the word gain. Hallelujah, is literally plural. Amen, as it's translated. So he was saying what things were gains to me. So it was plural. Again, all of the things, all one by one of the things that he did. Hallelujah, but that word loss is singular. Amen, so Paul was saying all of the various gains that I had is counted as one loss for Christ. Amen. So I can't leave this out and take this. I can't say, well, I'll cancel that, but I did this. He said, all of it together. 
Hallelujah. Hear me, hear me. Hallelujah. All of the gains, everything that he did was simply one loss. Amen. He counted a loss. Amen. And it wasn't, amen, not so much loss by their character, but he chose to regard them as loss. He chose to regard everything as loss. And all the things that he thought made himself a Christian were vain. They were empty. They accomplished nothing. Can I tell you that God's not keeping a list of your works so that he can reward you and save you. That he can say, okay, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. That makes you worthy, that makes you worthy. Now we're going to be rewarded according to our works because the result of our faith is going to bring works. So that's evidence that we believe. But it doesn't save us. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you go. It doesn't consider, it's not considered righteousness. But your righteousness is only through what Jesus has done. So all the things that Paul thought made him a Christian, simply he counted all of it as one loss. So much so that he said it's rubbish. Or dumb. Dumb is the, the dirtiest excrement that there could be. So it was worthless. Even offensive. So Paul said, all that I did was worthless and offensive. So Paul disowned his own righteousness as much as other men did their sins. I said, Paul disowned all of his righteousness as much as other men did their sins. He counted everything that he had accomplished, he had achieved. And it's not that some of those things were bad in character. But Paul regarded them as loss. So all of it was one loss for Christ. One loss. Now look, verse 7. Put that back up again, if you would. He said, those things I counted loss for Christ. Now, let's go to verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So now, I realized that all that I did did not make me righteous, but I now count all things a loss so that I can know him. There's what somebody like. Really knowing him. He said, I count. So 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 I caught something that I didn't pay attention to. The first counting in verse 7 was past tense. That was the counting that he did at his conversion 30 years prior. 30 years have passed since Paul really got saved. Okay. It had been 30 years. Up to this point. So verse 7 was, was Paul counted at the time of his conversion. Verse 8 was 30 years later. I'm still counting. I still counted all, all things but loss. But now it's for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus and the Lord. Now it's because I want to know him. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. Not win your approval. Not win the people's approval. Not win the Pharisees' approval. Not win the world's approval. But that I may win Christ. Because at the end of the day, that's my goal is that I may know Him and in the power of His resurrection. I need somebody to help me. I don't need your approval. I don't need the 
social media. I don't need all the likes and the hearts and the stars. I don't need all of that to be affirmed because anything that I say and do is like dung. It is offensive and worthless compared to the righteousness that Jesus did. Matter of fact, my righteousness is as a filthy rag, which is translated as a dirty menstruation rag. Amen. So as a woman discards, hallelujah, amen, when she is on her monthly, and she discards that dirty rag, that's what my righteousness looks like, smells like, feels like, compared to what Jesus did for me. So I don't care how many people you feed, I don't care how many times I preach, I don't care how many demons are cast out, I don't care how many songs you've written, I don't care how many places you have been, how many doors have been opened, it's not through that that we attain righteousness, but it's through the works of Jesus Christ, and not only, you need to learn to count, you need to learn But even after all that Paul had experienced, he still counted it worthy to give up everything for the sake of being able to follow Jesus. It's a privilege to be able to follow Jesus. It's a privilege that he accepts me in all of my mess. In all of my failures and all my struggle, that he still sees me as worthy. It's cool if the devil sees red over your door, but what does Jesus see? Come on, when he sees me, are you with me? Hallelujah. So even after all the Paul experience over these 30 years, I've all been beaten, Paul been put in prison for a long time. Listen, Paul went through some stuff. He suffered. He suffered, but he counted it worthy. And everything that he lost was so that he might know Jesus. You would say, well, after 30 years, didn't he know him? He knew him, but he wanted to know him better. Well, come on. You, you don't arrive after a certain amount of time. Come on, somebody here. Hallelujah. After all the experience, see, see, see the, the loss wasn't some spiritual exercise. Yeah. Oh, come on, you get me. Yeah. Well, I, well, I, I did my, I did my, I did my push-ups this morning. Yeah. <laughs> I prayed, I prayed, I did, I prayed, I said, okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't like some spiritual exercise. Come on. But he suffered loss to gain Jesus. To gain Christ. He said to be found in him. To be found in him. Can I tell you that this caused Paul to soar? Or to rise up. We saw a lot of eagles when we were in Alaska. Look, eagles fly around there like sparrows do here. Sit on, sit on traffic lights and uh, electric wires and trees just like nothing. Big old bald eagles. And I said last Sunday, we were in a boat out on the water, watching the eagles. And some of them would take flight. And I watched as they would rise. And we've preached on the eagle plenty, plenty of times. But I watched as they would rise. They Rise and just continue to rise, and we know the eagle can rise above the storm. But like an eagle, Paul would 
rise, without even flapping his wings. Because you see an eagle gets on that funnel draft. And that's, that's what Paul was at after 30 years. Because that thermal draft is what takes that eagle up higher, 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 and higher. To where it's not by his. Come on, talk It's not by his works. Come on. Come on, somebody. Did you hear me? He's got to put forth the effort. Spread the wings, be willing to rise. But he knows he can rise. He knows he was created to rise. Come on, somebody. So that thermal draft, and this is where Paul was at. Hallelujah. What, what causes a thermal draft? It's when a warm surface begins to heat the air, and then there's a trigger event, amen, or a sudden change in the atmosphere that will cause the eagle to rise higher. So this is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I's not Christ, not me, but it's Christ in me. Amen. The Holy Spirit, the fire of the Lord in me. So the surface is there. Paul kept Amen. The fire of the gospel and the truth alive in him. But when there came a sudden traumatic event, a sudden change in the atmosphere, Paul didn't try flapping his wings or try doing his own thing. He just let it cause him to rise even higher. So when the wind shifts and the eagle's already in flight and the storm begins to come, the eagle doesn't have to flap his wings like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? He just lets that thermal draft take him up. So Paul said all the suffering and all of the prison and all of the beating just causes me to rise higher because I count it all joy because I Of that. 
a room of Asians, and they all looked the same to me, even though some were from Thailand, some were from the Philippines. But I even, I even mistook our, our room steward. I went, I went to there was another guy, his size, and then I went to him, and he's like, I'm not Michael. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. But my point is, is that about the second morning, Luann and I were sitting at breakfast, and here comes this young lady who I would have never picked out, never distinguished her, in, until she started talking to us. And she started asking us how we were doing. And we began to talk with each other, begin to find some history about her, to where the next time I saw her in the room full of everyone that looked the same, because they look at all of us Western Europeans, I'm like, they all look alike. You see what I'm saying? You understand what I mean? I'm not being negative. But because we became acquainted with her, and we had conversation with her, I can now distinguish her in a group of the, are you with me? And then because I made it a purpose to talk a little more to Michael, my steward, the next time that I saw him, I recognized him. Are you with me? Hey, are you understanding what I'm trying to say? And so we recognize people because we know we know people because we begin to distinguish what's different about them in a group or a room full of everyone else who may be the same. Amen. And so when you know somebody, amen, there's some things about them that are distinguished. And so see, knowing Jesus includes all of that stuff. Amen. You cannot know him if you do not converse with him. You cannot know him if you do not know what he does. You cannot know him if you do not spend time with him in his house and with his family. You cannot know him if you do not spend daily time with him and allow him to be involved in your daily life's circumstances. You cannot know him unless all of those things, amen, are applied. But knowing Jesus includes this, but it goes beyond. Amen. See, knowing Jesus means knowing that his power and that new life in you is now and not just when you die. It's not just something that's going to happen, amen, when you get to heaven. But you know that it's power now. Come on, somebody do the hear that. Hallelujah. Then you start seeing him a little bit different. He starts standing out among all other options and all other opportunities. That when you are in trouble and you've got the decision to do this, 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 or this, then you got Jesus. He stands out among all of that because that power that he has is now in you. And it's a now thing. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. The power, now listen to what Paul said, I'm about to close. He said, verse 8, he said, And I do count the dumb that I may win, what? win Christ and be found in him. Verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Come on. So the power of his resurrection is the evidence and seal that all he did and said was true. No one ever rose on their own until Jesus. And no other ever has. Come on, are you with me? And that is the evidence. None of these other gods and these other religions, man-made things, they do not have anyone who has rose from the dead. Only Jesus. 
But 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 listen now, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to answer this. So you, could you say after 30 years, how how could Paul how could Paul could, could keep uh, want to say that he did not know him? See see, and so the power of his resurrection is evidence. So we, we know that Jesus humbled himself to become death on the cross, and God highly exalted him. Yeah, come on. Jesus humbled himself. God exalted him. But the Bible says that Christ in you, Christ in you, yeah. is your hope of glory. Uh-huh. Yep. That's your hope. Yes. Not knowing who he is, not only that all that he's done is true, and not having and being able to distinguish him out of a out of a, come on. But 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 knowing being found in him. Amen. Christ in you. Amen. Him in you. Knowing that that power that rose him from the dead is the same resurrection power that is now in you. That's your hope of glory. Not because you come to church every Sunday. Not because you wear a man a Christian t-shirt or you got a fish on your bumper. Amen. Or you wear a man your Christian jewelry. But that resurrection power in you. Knowing that if you, hallelujah, are faced with the circumstances where there's no way out, instead of flapping your wings trying to get yourself out, you're just going to rise. You're going to let it take you up because you know that all that you have done or ever will do is worthless compared to what Jesus has done. It's already been taken care of. Are you hearing it? So Christ in you is your hope and glory. Did you know that 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Those who have hope purifies himself. That's pretty cool. Those who have hope purifies himself. That keeps me right before God. Even when I mess up, if my hope is in Christ, amen, I purify myself by having that hope in me, which is Christ Jesus. So essentially, when Jesus died, I died with him. When he resurrected, I rose with him. That's what Paul said. I am resurrected with Christ. So when he died, I died. When he rose, I rose. So yeah. And all that he did for me, Isaiah 53 says, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus never opened his mouth. That didn't mean he was weak. That meant that he was silent, not helpless. He could have called for a host of angels, but he didn't want to. Because he died. He loved us so much. He had resolved. So he wasn't helpless. Poor head for Jesus. He was silent on purpose so that he could fulfill the promise. So Paul, Paul was saying, as they get ready to come to the music, Paul was saying, Paul was saying here, that I may know him and that I may win him, being in him, that I may know him in the power of his been saved. So when Jesus died, we were saved. Are you with me? So, so, so stage one, we were saved. Stage two, we are saved. 
We are saved when we put our faith in the fact that he died so that we could be free. So we were saved or have been saved. We are saved. Then we are being saved. Our salvation is a continual process. Paul said we are in the continual state of being saved. So it's not a one and done thing. That's why you've got to be obedient and you've got to continue to do it. That's why he said that I may know him. So, so we were saved, we are saved, and we're being saved. And the last stage of salvation is we will be saved. When will we be saved? Once and for all. When will it all be over? When we are resurrected, when resurrection takes place, when we know him in the power of resurrection, oh, somebody better help me, when he comes again, in that resurrection is the final component of our salvation. So this is why Paul said, I still counted all loss because I have not known him yet in the fullness of the power of his resurrection. This is why I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. I leave behind those things. Amen. Forget those things behind me and I press forward. Hallelujah. Because salvation will not be complete until resurrection. Until he comes. Then we will have our final redemption. So we were saved, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So right now, I'm in the stage of being saved. This is why I got to count it all joy. And I got to learn to count like Paul. Because I will not be saved until I'm with him. That I may know him. That I may distinguish what's different about him. And that others may distinguish that about me. As you stay with me on Sunday.